Hello, everybody. Welcome to a French Village podcast. I'm here with my brilliant friend, Ben Wittes, and we are discussing the finale episodes of season five. Uh, and they're a, they're a disturbing couple of episodes. Ben, what do you think? Uh, well, first of all, we got to resolve the tension for the audience uh, of whether we have been renewed by the bulwark for season six and seven in a consolidated form. This joke never gets old for you. No. (laughs) (laughs) We Uh, are back. We will be, there's one, two more seasons of the show, but only one more season of the French Village podcast. Yeah, so here we are nearing the end, and I'll tell you the two seasons, I think I mentioned this last week, the last two uh, seasons are both six episodes. Um, so they equal one full season. Uh, and I just think that we should knock them out and especially the very last season, um, for reasons that will become apparent. Um, there's just, it, you don't have the, the same, they move you into different timelines. And so, um, I think that if we do three episodes at a clip and we have just sort of another month of this show, uh, also I gotta, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, 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 I'm podcasting a lot these days and, uh, and I've gotta, I've gotta, I've gotta clear my schedule. All right. We're going to do three episodes a week for the last four episodes of the show. That'll be season six of a French village podcast, but it's kind of season six and a half. Cause it's got a little season seven in there. Uh, I did not think these episodes were the emotional satisfaction that I wanted from them. I mean, we had uh, mob violence killing the uh, the not quite acquitted, but uh, the you know the the trial sentences uh, does not sentence these guys to death. The mob machine guns and hangs uh, them. Uh, that doesn't seem very good. Um, uh, we've got, uh, Hortense getting her head shaved, uh, which seemed kind of medieval, um, although not wholly unjust. Um, uh, we've got, uh, 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 Lucien walking by the hanging body of a militiaman and seeming concerned only about the, uh, dead Kurt. Um, uh, we've got, uh, uh, you know, tensions within the resistance community. It's a, like, there's a lot going on in these episodes. There is a lot going on. Um, and, you know, partly because I think in this season we are, we are in this, uh, untidy space of sort of wrapping up the war and all that it's left behind and beginning it's in that messy space before they figure out how to do justice the way that is more comfortable for everybody, which is through real trials. And, um, and I think we're, we're going to get there, um, in season six, but in season five, there's a lot of vigilante justice. And I, I, I have said this before, and I felt it much more acutely in these episodes. One of the you said that there it's unsatisfying. I, I guess I would unpa- I would be interested in unpacking that a little bit because if we just even start with and this is now really you're you're talking about the the finale episode with Hortense 
she and Daniel are trying to um, escape. Um, you know, it has become clear to Daniel after Daniel Larche, after he, Barrio gives him sort of his path back to respectability. Uh, he's going to be put in charge of what amounts to health and human services for the town, finding food, getting medical care set up. And he feels the relief of somebody who's potentially dodged the bullet of being marked as a collaborator forever. And, uh, but of course, the the communists uh, do not like the idea of Daniel, who they do perceive as a collaborator, um, and as somebody who they, and also just as somebody, a way to make Barrio look bad because our boy Edmund, the leader of the commies, wants to challenge him for mayor. Um, and so they unearth Daniel's the the fake document that Mueller had put together, claiming that Daniel was a German informant in order to get him released when he was in jail and being tortured um, as a favor to Hortense. Uh, and I think I tried to flag this back when that happened because it happens kind of fast, right? Like they let Daniel out and Marcel goes on to be shot. There's that sort of one episode where they're in jail together and it becomes, they tell you that Daniel gets let out because Mueller, and, and I think Horten says, like, can't you do something for him? So he does. And what he does is he says, yeah, this guy's a German informant, so you got to let him go. And so there's a document saying that. And because it was not true ever, and because Daniel, I guess, doesn't sound like he thought that hard about why he got let out. Like, he understands it was by Mueller for Hortense, um, but maybe doesn't know the back end of the paperwork about how it all came about. Um, he doesn't really remember. So when it surfaces, uh, where he's right on the cusp of, in his own mind, redemption and being able to go back as a, a functioning sort of civil servant, um, it just like craters him. It craters him with Barrio, who it does make look very bad. Uh, and it puts him squarely back in the camp of, this guy looks like a collaborator. And so they're on the run. Uh, I find the scene where they're leaving to be sort of aggravating because Hortense, like, isn't just moving along. She seems to feel the need to intervene uh, where there is a mob going after, I guess, a roommate, the, one of the German attaches who's just still hanging around. No, it's, it's Mueller's aide-de-camp. Yeah, and but he wasn't... Why isn't he gone with the rest of the Germans? Why is he there? Unclear, but, uh, you know, the, the devotion to Mueller extends to his, his guy, and... Uh, and Hortense uh, and Larche uh, intervened to prevent him from being shot, and she's recognized. And and yeah, they're both recognized. And there's this scene that I think is is useful for setting this up, where one of a guy comes up to Doctor Larche and accuses him of being a collaborator, and Larche says, "I know who you are." You ratted out your Jewish neighbor in 42 uh, because he was the mayor at the time. So he was seeing the incoming uh, people who were, you know, informing on others. Uh, but that guy is now sort of leading the mob violence in the self-righteous way of somebody who wouldn't have that blemish on his conscience. And it's it's a good example of how who's getting condemned and who's not based on how they have refashioned to themselves in this particular moment. 
yeah, so that scene is is an interesting one. There's a you know, there are people in the town whom Larchet can shame, right? And who have blown with the winds uh and you know, in a in a particular moment uh they are now uh you know, violently contemptuous of people who were collaborators, but in a earlier moment, they were happy to uh, turn in their neighbors. And Larche has a good memory for these things. Uh, and so he can stare down a certain group of those people. What he cannot do is stare down his uh, name on Muller's, uh, you know, the words... Uh, a German police informant on Mueller's form. And there's no good explanation for that, except the one that he tries to give, which is, oh, he was just doing that, said that because he wanted to release me because he was sleeping with my wife and he was trying to do a favor to my wife, which is not a very satisfying answer. You know, I wasn't a police inform a German informant, I was just uh, the uh, kind of lackey uh, uh, who was the, you know, tacit beneficiary to the point of, like, I'm alive because of it, because my wife was sleeping with the SD guy in town. Um, and why, you know, that that is exculpatory in some sense. Um but, you know, his own brother is not alive because of the absence of that. And so it's, it's, I think it's a, actually a, a little bit less exculpatory than he thinks it is. And Berio certainly is, feels completely humiliated by it and can't understand why he didn't tell him about it. Um, and I think it reflects a... Um, a quality of Larche that we've talked about before that he thinks of himself as the person who is, you know, making hard decisions one by one as they come to him. Um, and that he's doing the best he can with every decision, but he's unable to look at the aggregate picture which is, and he's angered by the aggregate that people, other people look at the aggregate picture, which is that he's a collaborationist mayor who, you know, is fraternizing with the, you know, the occupiers. He dines with them. He's uh, on polite social terms with the murderous torturer who, in you know, who... Uh, supervises the killings in his town, and he's uh, gets an exemption from a lot of things that would kill other people because his beautiful redheaded wife is, uh, with his full knowledge, having an affair with the FSD guy. And so, like, like I think it's a, it's an interesting portrait of the clash between the way Larche sees himself and the way. Um, you know, the town kind of reasonably sees him. And then you have this moment where 
some of the people in the town, not Berrio, um, and actually not Edmund, are, but some of the people in the town, like this guy he meets on the street, are being total hypocrites because, you know, and so he can look in them in the eye and say, you know, to Kokwe, you know, like, you know, what the fuck were you doing in 1942? Um, and who are you to judge me? Um, but there are people he cannot say that to. And those are the people who in 1942 were actually looking at the big picture and saying, in Edmund's case, we got to start killing some Germans. Uh, or in Berio's case, uh, we got to start printing things, right? Um, like they're different different answers to that question, but they're much better answers than you know I was uh, not getting shot because the SD guy liked my wife a lot. Yeah, I mean, look, there's this is where he's in a room full of people, all of whom behaved better than him in a global moral way. And he is, you can tell how happy he is to be counted among them and to be allowed sort of in that room uh, to present in his sort of general competent way his plan for how he's going to feed people and take care of people. Uh, And he is affronted to feel like he's going to be judged because there's this great conversation he has with Servier where he's trying to get Servier to tell him where all of the, like, black market food is being kept, uh, which, of course, everyone in the town is starving. Servier knows this, and he's not telling anybody. He's using it to negotiate for himself, which is classic Servier and why he is he is a bad guy. Um, but, but his conversation with Daniel is, when he sees that Daniel is being allowed to negotiate on behalf of the town and being kind of welcomed back into the fold, he says, why are you different from me? You did the same things I did. Now, the one thing that I will say in this case is that the global picture to the people in the town looks pretty bad for Daniel. It is not how Daniel sees himself, which is much better, but it's also not how we see Daniel, I don't think. Because uh, we have also seen through this entire journey, he's he helped the resistance at times. He basically helped anybody who ever came to him and asked for it. Uh, yeah, Daniel which, and Servier are not similarly situated. But Servier thinks they are. And the town is evaluating them that way. So uh, the town is evaluating Larche negatively. But Larche quits rather than, you know, continue to participate. He quits in 1942. He, uh, um, he is, uh, he, he hides, uh, Sarah, even before he's having an affair with her, um, he does many honorable and noble things, and he never buys the ideology. He, you know, Servier. But we know that. We know that the audience. I'm well, thinking about but, the town evaluating it. So, so the town knows some of it. They know he quit. Um, they know he, you know. He stopped being mayor rather than play the Chassagne game. Uh, The resistance people certainly know that he helped them sometimes. Um, And uh, by the way, he was arrested um, by the militia uh, at some point and 
beaten up. So people, you know, like, and so people like Berrio definitely know that he played a complicated role, which is why the Gaullists, Berrio, actually wants to rehabilitate him and wants to treat him differently. Um, And I think the, I think one of the, um, one of the things that the show does best is depict the range of possibility of honorable service in Vichy, you know, from the completely dishonorable, like, and from the actively evil, like Shasanya, although Shasanya is sort of weirdly rehabilitated in our eyes in his pre-death uh, hangout bro y uh, scenes with uh, Marcel Larcher, but his behavior is consistently evil. Um, to Servier, who's, you know, who kind of willing, is, is the sort of willing prefect and kind of seems to believe it all, but was probably just as happy to serve the previous regime. Um, to Larcher, who's uncomfortable enough to quit, to the diversity of the cops and the way they take on their role. Uh, he's a, like, it goes out of its way to show, like, how different people struggled with this. And I think it's one of the real strengths. And Larcher and Servier are different. I totally agree they're different. Um, and and again, when I call the show a meditation on complicity, this is what I mean, is that they give you every shade and you have to think about and evaluate what the level of culpability is. And and it's the it's, it's not that we think that Daniel and Servier are the same. We know very clearly as the audience uh, that they're extremely different. But Servier doesn't understand why they're not being treated the same. Uh, and, and even even as he's holding food, you know, holding yeah. out food and using it as leverage for his own rehabilitation and for money, uh, so he can continue to afford his little apartment and for safe passage to Switzerland, which well, is sort of always the difference, right? Between like the interactions with Servi and Daniel are always Daniel. They're like sort of in the same position. They're both collaborating, but Daniel's always using his leverage to help people, and Servier is always most concerned with his own position and does not care, right? And you can see this in the school situation where Daniel is frantically trying to figure out how to help the Jews in the school, and Servier's, you know, frantically trying to figure out how to get Morhange to help him sort of keep things on cool before he can like shove these people out the door um, without a whole lot of thought about their ultimate ending. And his, his only thought is, you know, in this weird way that the Vichy regime actually did, um, you know, that French Jews are different from so-called foreign Jews. And so he's troubled that Morhange is there and is interested in getting her. But it's not a, like a humanitarian thing. It's like a nationalist thing, like that That somehow, uh, you know, Servier's only 
spark of humanity there is concern for her. Yeah. So, so, uh, so the, we get to so so Daniel. This is a hinge moment for Daniel because he's on the cusp of the re, being able to be rehabilitated. But this th- this document surfaces, which we know not to be true, uh, but there's enough evidence, sort of broadly speaking, for how he displayed himself that they're willing to believe that it's true, even Barrio. But, but not to be true. I I, I want to focus on this for a minute because. It's not true in the specific charge that it makes, which was that he was an informant for the Gestapo. But it is true, the the larger point, that he is a involved, complicit official with every other relationship with Mueller is true. And so it's, it's kind of wrong in its particulars but right in in some in some larger sense, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Marcel's dead and Larchet's not, uh, and Daniel's not, um, and that is the difference. The difference was that he did just enough for the, he wasn't and he wasn't opposing these people. He was collaborating with these people, and so they he, he was given leeway that others were not, and so that's that's true. And in that room. In that room, it is a moment where you can argue both ways. You can argue that there are lots of reasons why he belongs in that room and he deserves to be rehabilitated. You could also argue that he does not deserve to be in that room because that room is filled with people who made the correct moral choices uh, from the beginning. Although I will say, right, if you had to choose between Edmund and Daniel as like your partners of like, there's this great scene where Barrio is basically saying to Edmund, like, why isn't there any food? Like, what do you, and you're like, it's clear that the commies can't manage a dang thing. Like Daniel with his competence and his decency uh, sort of walks in and immediately figures out, okay, here's how we're going to house people. Here's how we're going to uh, feed people. Here's where we, how we can get medical attention for people. And the commies are all, you know, blinded by ideology and not getting anywhere with anything. Um, well, and but no, no, but they're getting somewhere with what, with their political objective, which is leveraging the misery to sign people up as members of the party. And yeah. Berrio pretty effectively points that out. You're not feeding people, but you are going around and interviewing everybody about their needs. And by the way, then you're slipping them uh, join the party uh, information. I, I mean, Edmund is being a pretty effective party apparatchik, if not an effective governance uh, bureaucrat. Exactly. Um, but but anyway, so my point is, you could argue it both ways. It's a hinge moment for Daniel's life, uh, and he is deemed uh, a collaborator in that moment beyond redemption. He's tossed out, and he and Hortense are now. Uh, sort of on the run together. They're trying to get out of town. They're going to go to a, a patient of his who's going to lend them a car so that they can leave. But again, because Hortense sort of unhelpfully feels the need to defend uh, Mueller's uh, apparatchik who is being run down by the mob. There's mobs everywhere, by the way. We're only like a day or two out from liberation and there's a lot of vigilante justice going on. And uh, so when they get a hold of Hortense... They uh, surround her, call her a whore, grab her, 
uh, and drag her to the town square along with a couple of other people who they said uh, were sleeping with Germans. Uh, they make her hold a sign that says Kraut Whore. And I, this is where we started. Uh, it took us <laughs> 20 minutes to get here. But I, I think part of the reason that this is so... And they, and they proceed. They proceed to surround her jeer, um, c- cut off her hair. And there's it's it's a it's a weird thing in terms of justice because in some ways, okay, she they cut off her hair like it seems insufficient to her level of collaboration, her absolute. Um, all of the ways that she was horrible to people for her own selfish reasons because she was in love with this uh, psycho SS guy. On the other hand, it is seems so damaging, uh, so awful. I can't bear to watch these scenes. I find them, um, they are, they conjure that, that feeling in my stomach where like, that like Lord of the Flies does, uh, where, you feel like the thin veneer of civilization and how fragile it is and how quickly we could turn like animals on each other. Um, and so you can look at it like this isn't even, this isn't even justice being done to Hortense. Big deal. You got your hair cut off, like wear a hat on the flip side. You think this is the kind of thing that breaks somebody psychologically and is almost like a form of absolute torture and brings out the worst that you could ever see in human beings. Yeah, so I was trying to think when I was watching this scene, what has Hortense really done? So in the drama of the show, she is, you know, sleeping with Muller and she treats a lot of people horribly. And that's, so we hate her and she's loathsome. But... In the realm of collaboration, right? She's not Servier, right? She's not somebody with with official power. She's not rounding up Jews. She's not uh, ordering, deciding who's on the list of hostages to get shot. She's not taking orders from the Germans and doing it. She's just having an affair. And mm, can I? I'm just one quick note about the time yeah. that she ratted out Marcel to Muller because Gustave told her that her dad, his dad. Okay. Was but that is not what she's being paraded through the streets for. True. Right. She's being so like, like the interesting, like what is the bill of particulars on Hortense uh, is actually a, like Janine is way worse in terms of actually causing bad things to happen. Yeah, good point. But um, we hate her because her because she has sort of emotionally and sexually allied herself with the worst elements of the bad guys. Um. And so, which is kind of what this punishment is about, right? It's about, like, while we were starving and getting shot, you were uh, sleeping with the SS and, uh, as a consequence, living quite well. 
Um, and I think the result is that the, you know, unlike for Marketi, who we'll get to uh, later, um, and unlike for, you know, Servier or, um, like, the, the response to her is this weird combination of, uh, you know, just basic slut shaming and, um, and, you know, a sense of, a, a sort of undefined sense of you were okay while we weren't because you went over to the other side. But it's all very nonspecific. It's not like, you know, you, you know, she's not being evaluated like Larche did for is for any specific thing she supposedly did. Like he was mayor and like she's actually like being treated as um, like the the punishment is as much for the sexual indiscretion as it is for the uh, as as it is for you know, any effect of this on anybody. Yeah, this is a great point. And actually, you know, Hortense has too much baggage for the viewer to evaluate her, uh, like, objectively in the sense you just described in the moment. But they give you somebody else to put that on. They have the other woman that just gets dragged out. And she says, I'm innocent. And, And Hortense responds, I'm not. But the woman who says she was innocent was the house cleaner of some German that we don't know about. And she just says quickly, like he gave me stockings and he was nice to me. Uh, And, you know, for whatever survival reason, and it sounds like, you know, for a bit of a perk, uh, she was, you know, keeping this German's bed warm. And that feels like, it was harder for me to watch that woman than it was for me to watch Hortense. Yeah, and... Look, and we also know that Lucien is, look, if the standard is, did you sleep with a German soldier or officer, there's no difference between Hortense and this woman and Lucien. Um, And we do actually feel differently about that. And by the way, also of uh, of, uh, Genevieve, um, who is now you know, comfortably in the arms of Antoine, even while her brother's being hanged by the mob. And so, like, like there, there's this weird quality that we know that Hortense is particularly bad, but bad in this, in exactly the way that the mob knows that she's, feels that she's bad. Um, we know that she's electrified by and really attracted to Muller even after he's tortured her when he's describing his his involvement in mass killings in the east of children you know that that really turns her on but again we're not evaluating her on the basis of that we're evaluating Larche which is you know, hey, what did you do that was that was aiding the Nazis in their evil behavior with respect to the French population or resistance? We're evaluating her in a in a very kind of y- your 
your, uh, you know, pardon me, uh, kraut whore who, you know, lived well during the occupation while we suffered. Yeah. And it's, it's just a very elaborate version of exactly what that mob is experiencing, including her own nephew who cuts her hair. Yeah, that's brutal. It really is when Gustav shows up, especially because Gustav's last real time with her was actually like her being, I mean, her being sort of decent to them, right? She finds them alone and starving and kind of doesn't, instead of going to her mother, she stays there and takes care of them. Although, (laughs) because it can never be straightforward with Hortense, uh, she also introduces Muller to the picture where she expects this young man to sort of live in a house with her lover, who is the person who murdered her father. And also our last experience of Gustav is that he's alive because Larche is a collaborator. Mm-hmm. Right? That's he's true. about to he's about to get summarily shot. And Larche, uh this is now a few days before this, uh uh treats the German officer uh, or the German soldier by way of um, uh, getting his life spared. That's right. And I guess, I guess, I guess we could ask the question, you know, is it unfair to these women in the sense that I understand the outrage? I, I, I feel it viscerally, the outrage over people who found who offered comfort to these German soldiers, improved their lives while they were there, um, and and got a better deal than everybody else uh, in doing so. There's, that's, there's a traitor element in that that's very potent. At the same time, they're being evaluated the way that women, like in this sexual way, like even Gustav, th- there's some symmetry in the fact that Gustav stood there and had a clear shot at Mueller that time and looked at him with this mix of loathing and admiration. Like, it was never quite clear how he was feeling about him. But when it comes to Hortense, he shows up and takes that savage, mob-filled glee moment to, like, be the one to cut her hair off. Yeah, and, you know, um, now I, I don't want to be tough too hard on Gustav because he's a kid. Um but and he's a kid who's had some like serious trauma since he was, you know, seven or eight or whatever he was. Um, but uh, you know, look, the three women who in this episode who are had slept with German soldiers, one of them, Lucienne, did so because she was actually in love with him, and one of them did so to the extent that we know anything about it because, you know, he was nice and she was, you know, getting stockings out of the deal. And one of them did so because she's evil and really attracted to evil. And she found, you know, of all the guys in the world, the SS guy who boasts of, you know, killing children is like, that's, what the one she swipes right on. Um, and is and, still in love with. Like, she's still, like, bargaining with Larche, you know, to yeah. help help her find him. Yeah, no, she's, you know, like, that's her dream guy. Um, 
and I think we're the mob does not distinguish between these three. The only reason Lucienne is not among them is that they don't know about Kurt. Um, and we do distinguish between them. They seem different. Uh, and if you made me design a punishment for uh, Hortense, it wouldn't look like that. But I don't, because I don't want to combine the 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 sense of outrage at her behavior with a kind of you know slut shaming just but i do think their fury at her is totally justified yeah um i it's a dark part of our humanity uh that are, this comes through in some of this stuff so and there's the, the other scene that I think was justice being delivered uh, in a way that is both just and yet makes me feel sick. Uh, again, is there's this whole setup where Antoine is now the chief of police. He's at the police station. Barrio gets a, they've got, he, he arrests Marchetti. This is like the beginning of the, uh, you know, second of the two episodes he's, he's tracked. He and Lario, uh, have, have figured out how to track down Marchetti. He goes to Cohen's apartment. They've established that Rita's in town. Um, and so they've got enough and they go there and, you know, Antoine sees a hat on the table that he doesn't think is a uh, cone or doesn't think is cone uh, cone. There's this weird thing that's happening where Rita goes out and cones there. Uh, and Marchetti, she figures, she tells uh, Rita tells cone that she's got Marchetti and cone feels like he has to protect Marchetti. Cause I guess Marchetti, you know, saved his, he and his daughter's life at one life, time yeah. when he sent him to Switzerland. So he doesn't hate Marchetti the way everybody else does. But anyway, at the point, Lario and, um, Antoine show up, uh, you know, cone plays dumb acts like he doesn't know. Uh, but Antoine smarter than the average bear leaves, uh, Lario doubles back because he knows Marchetti's there because he gave him, the hat that's sitting on the table as a present one time uh, and is familiar with the clothes of Marchetti. Uh, Antoine realizes that Lario went back and he shows back up and arrests Marchetti. So they've got Marchetti. They've got the butcher of Villeneuve um, and it spreads through the town and they all, they're all coming because they want, they want to put their hands on this guy. And Barrio gets a call again from Dijon saying, no, we're we're running low on on really bad people up here to make an example out of. You got to bring him to Dijon so we can try him here uh, in a more high profile way. Barrio knows this is going to be a disaster in terms of the justice that people want in the town, but he's got to do it. It's about his career. He tells uh, he tells Antoine he's got to help him get him there, and so now they've got to get this guy out of the jail before the townspeople come like a mob to hang him. Yes, and. A few thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, I don't feel like I have a sense of the localism of this region of France sufficient to understand why for the Ensembles and uh, Suzanne's transferring Marquette to Dijon for his trial is unacceptable, right? So there's this, there's this dispute between 
the locals who really, I mean, they really want to just kill him with their own hands, but they're adamant that he stay in Villeneuve and be tried there. And the free French hierarchy who want him removed to Dijon. And I, I confess I am not like, I think like if you're from this area, that probably makes sense in a, in a sense of like, you know, Hey, the trial should be local to where the crime is. It actually seemed to me to be sort of like much ado about nothing. Marchetti is going to, you know, going to be uh, tried and shot by local, you know, here or a few miles from here. Like to me, like nothing turned on it. But I, I think you just have to accept that for these people, that's a, a really important distinction, whether the justice is ours or whether it's some remote group of people who spent probably spent the war in London. Um, uh, so that, that perplexed me a little bit, but look, Berrio and um, so this, this episode incident says nothing about Marquette in the sense that he's a pretty passive participant in the whole thing, except in the limited sense that he's, uh, doesn't want to be separated from the baby, his uh, from David, his his baby with Rita, who uh, uh, later collects the baby. Um, it does say a lot about Berio and about Antoine and their uh, the effort again to reestablish a state, right, which isn't run out of Villeneuve. It's run out of you know. Uh, in this case, Dijon, but more generally, you know, this was the the Free French trying to reestablish the Third Republic. And that meant that there had to be central, not highly local mob answers to questions like this. And so I think that's the, the fundamental tension. Uh, Berio prevails in the sense that he gets Marquette uh, and Antoine gets Marquette out of the uh, the jail, but the locals have their revenge. They come in and machine gun all the prisoners who have been the militia prisoners who have been uh, uh, who are being held pending their own transfer. Uh, and uh, with the exception of Genevieve's brother, uh, whose name is escaping me, whom they take outside, beat, and hang. Alban. Alban, yes. Um, and so that's actually another kind of brutal uh, aspect, right? That, you know, you, like, Berio's great success in navigating the disparity between uh, his orders, which were to kill all these guys by firing squad and having a real trial, which required that there be some acquittal to justify the the, the independence of the tribunal. Um, you know, he had managed to put together a real fake trial, um, you know, that that actually accomplished that. And here the mob just like 
takes that away from them and and lynches these people. Yeah, I mean, uh, we should note that Raul seems to have a machine gun, and that from the Which, jump again, you're like uh, just life advice: don't give the fifteen-year-olds machine guns or the sixteen-year-olds yeah, like, or seven, whatever he is. Yeah, who's you know just lost his mother, uh, and so he's feeling uh, quite uh, liberated to exercise the machine gun. He shoots a police officer in front of Janine. Like the 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 first episode, actually, in this set starts out with um you know this tension between the mob and Antoine and Barrio who are trying to figure out you know how do you reinstate order and so you know Antoine that puts him in this crappy position of basically having to constantly be getting you know helping not helping Marchetti and not helping uh Janine but removing them from the mob violence that people want to exact on them, which leads to a showdown early in the episode between Antoine and Ensemble. Uh, but in that, uh, while, while Ensemble and Raul and the you know resistance guys are holding Janine, looking like they're going to do some bad stuff to her, um, although maybe not kill her, but like, but but somehow put her up in, in front of the town square. But anyway, there's a cop in there too that they're holding. Um, and they just kill him. They like, you know, Raul shoots him in cold blood when he tries to run away. Um, and then Raul also basically guns down all the militia guys that are being held at the police station. Um, again, Antoine sort of trying to protect people, but they do that because they're trying to help Marchetti escape out of the back, um, which they're able to do, but not before Barrio lies to everybody. I mean, he stands up in front of Suzanne and Edmund and this whole, all the resistance folks and says, we don't have Marchetti, which does not bode well for him long-term. Um, I mean, he is, he is going too far, I think, uh, in sort of trying to make Dijon happy at the expense of the town. Yeah. I mean, he's caught in the middle, uh, and he's got a bad hand and Larche has made the hand worse by, by making him look like somebody who's super tolerant of collaborators, right? And uh, the Larche incident is humiliating for Barrio and really undermines his credibility. And then um, he, out of, I think, a genuine commitment to the hierarchy, uh, does not you know, tell the town the truth about the Marquette situation. And and look, the town is, if anybody deserves mob violence in the town, it is Marquette who just engaged in some of it himself. I mean, literally hanged Marie with his own hands, like for no, no good reason, right? All he had to do was nothing. Yeah. Um, and you know, all the efforts which are legit, you know, the militia guys are puzzled by Marquette because he's the one who shot the Germans. Um, and he does save the life of, of uh, a number of people, including Ezekiel and his daughter. But none of that wipes, you know, as Lady Macbeth says, like, you know, it does not all great Neptune's waters can't wipe the blood clean from his hands. And, um, and, you know, Anselm wants to kill him with his own hands. And uh, that's pretty 
pretty reasonable, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and Dario is standing up there and lying to them to prevent that, which is uh, honorable enough, I suppose, but it is not good politics. Yeah. Uh, Berio seems to be thinking a little short term about the job that he wants very badly because he's trying to appease people at the top. But at some point, he's going to have to win an election for mayor and Edmund's planning on running against him uh, and is going to have a, a lot of dirt on him uh, when he does that. But this this Albon, similar to Hortense, you know, they they shoot all the guys in the cage, but then they march, they they grab Alvin and say, we're going to play with you a little bit. And they take him down to the town square and they torment him. You know, um, they, they put out a dog bowl and tell him to drink from the dog bowl. And, you know, they're just pushing him around and hitting him and putting him on the ground, kicking him and whatever. Uh, and uh, Suzanne and Ensemble kind of sit on a car away from where people, the boys are engaging in this torture. And like, you can tell that they don't feel great about it, right? There is, the, the, there's something exact justice, but there is that that torture and humiliation effort that people seem pretty thirsty for after being humiliated and low-key tortured by deprivation and the war and all the deaths, you know, everything. You can understand it, but man, it doesn't feel good to watch. No, and I think Ensemble, who's been demanding some of it uh, in this scene, seems to regret getting what he wants. He's just sitting there uh, uh, with Suzanne drinking drinking and, um, you know, not taking any pleasure in it. Um, And, of course, Alban is you know, I guess having confessed to the priest that he'd murdered the two kids is now feeling uh, like this is all a great injustice to him, Um, which I can understand, honestly, you know, like, um, uh, but he's, uh, you know, dragged and beaten to his death, basically uh, whining about his unfair treatment and how he's not a dog and that this isn't fair. Um, and I did, uh, find myself with some contempt for him. You know, okay. So, uh, not that I've ever been beaten while being no, dragged. No, to no, 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 no. I, I so I, I like, I don't want to judge too much, but I, I, I did think Marie handled herself in that moment. Uh, uh, more appropriately. With more dignity, yes. sure. There is, I mean, there is, like, Marchetti also feels bad for himself during these episodes. Yeah, you know? I hate the ones who feel bad for themselves. I I, I, I preferred, I forget his name, the, the head of the militia who, you know, whose only beef with getting shot was that a woman was involved with the firing squad. I thought that's the true spirit. Um, yeah. Uh, no, there's a bunch of people feeling sorry. I mean, even Lucienne, like, who's like, you know, all, you know, very sad about Kurt and focused on that. Um, but like the other women who slept with German soldiers are being like humiliated and mobbed and ha- getting their hair cut off and she kind of just walks by. But so she, I, I don't know if I were Lucienne, I'd be counting my good graces. Um, but anyway. Good thing but Kurt's it, dead and in the ground. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But here's the here's the the one thing I'll say. So Alban says something right before they hang him, 
And it's similar to the Daniel confrontation with the guy who turned in his Jewish neighbor. Alban says, you weren't so many until yesterday. And the one point that I think some of these collaborators have is that there is a, is virtue signaling the right term? But there, there are people who are getting singled out uh, in a way that might be karmically, it might be fair from a justice standpoint in terms of what they did, but then there's a lot of other people getting off. Like Alban, Alban makes kind of this little speech, like, I was just like you. I didn't want to go to forced labor. I only joined the militia. Now we know he killed the kids. And like, when he gets hung from the tree, I'm like, that is, I'm sorry. You know, that's where you ended up. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not really sorry. Like, I think that's fair enough. But the torturing and the fact that the people doing it are very much not blameless in many cases uh, is 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 a tough pill to swallow a little bit. Yeah, I mean the and of course this is a, a an issue at Nuremberg, um, which is you know of course not yet happening, but is like not two years off where. Uh, you know, the Soviet judges insisted on trying the, the Soviet prosecutors insisted on trying the Nazis for the Katyn Forest massacre, which in fact, the Soviets had conducted themselves. And, um, you know, there was a question, the, so the, the allies in the, uh, uh, in in the Nuremberg trials, really forbade what what came to be called the Tukokwe defense. That you also, um, uh, and it is not a redemption, or you know, does not clear Alban that he can rightly look at these people and say, you know, where were you before yesterday? Um, but he can, and you know the um, uh, the German defendants at Nuremberg could say, you know, we we firebombed London. You think that's a war crime? Like, have you looked at hand, uh, you know, at, at Dresden or or uh, Hamburg recently? Right, right. Our uh, you think we like there? There was a uh, a quality of uh, where were you, but you know, before yesterday. And I, this was, I think, the more intimate the setting gets, the more encounters you have, like Larche in the street with that guy saying, "Who are you to judge me now?" Um, and the more morally complicated the position of the individual, and Alban's is not especially morally complicated because we saw him murder two children, but Larche's is. And the more morally complicated the situation, the, the fairer it is to ask, who are you to judge? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I, I had some sympathy for Albin's case here and for Daniel's, especially they, they show that interaction with Daniel, with that guy. And then they have that guy kind of leading the mob the whole time. He's leading the mob against Hortense, uh, and, uh, and he's there for, for Albin's hanging. So, um, I, I do appreciate the show giving us that look, cause I think that's true. And I think that's fair. Um, what do you so just and another one you pointed this out, but another person who's getting a good turn of fortune instead of one that could have taken place in the town square is Albin's sister. So she watches her brother get murdered. Um, and obviously that's and that's a bummer for her. That's bad for her. Uh, but then Antoine uh proposes to her as he decides to go off to war, um, and join the army, uh, which is kind of a wild choice in the moment, but okay. I think it's a great choice for him. You know, I, I mean this seriously. He's yeah. like, like he's been forced to like train himself in, in, uh, in, in the context of the resistance. He is uh, now been forced into the gross, ugly politics of this town, which he hates. Uh and what did he only ever want to do? He wanted to join the army. That's what he said from when he was a, a, a young boy. And here, uh, the newly reconstituted French state is actually contributing troops uh, as the allies push north. And this is his opportunity to get out of this stupid uh fights with Anselme and people he thought of and Suzanne and people he thought of as allies who were now trying to murder people. And he's um uh and he's like, uh, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm gonna do what I always wanted to do. And I think it's it's actually really cool and admirable. Uh and he's just going on with his life. And part of that is there's this girl that he's really into and yeah, she's Alban's sister and all that. And that bothered him at first, but it doesn't bother him anymore. And he doesn't have performance problems when he has sex with her. And he's uh, actually seems to love her, uh, which is a little bit befuddling because she's not, doesn't seem that lovable, but that's okay to each his own or, or her own. And so he proposes to her and you can see him, coming back from the war, maybe even before the next season starts. I'm not sure there's not that much time before the end of the war. So they're going to come back and they're going to get married and it's going to be happy. It's a nice thing. It shows that there's life after all of this. Yeah, they do give Antoine like a great, a great closer to season five that kind of gives me chills, even though it's a little bit hokey. Uh, where Barrio is consecrating the town square now in Marie Germain's memory. Alban is with his friend heading out to join up with the army. And his friend is saying to him, doesn't it bother you that she slept with Germans? And he says, you know what? It doesn't. I'm crazy about her. And he's sort of actually lecturing the guy, like, if you ever held a woman, you'll understand that her politics doesn't matter in that. And okay, so that's sweet. But then, so they stand there and they watch Barrio and Suzanne and Edmund consecrate the town square together uh, to charter Pat Ford. And then they all sing the Nasty Anal 
and uh, everyone's singing, and Antoine's friend says, why aren't you singing? The Marseillaise. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That's what I meant. The Marseillaise. I, you know, I can't pronounce these, the whatever. Yeah, but Marse- it's not a pronunciation question. It's a totally right, different right. It's called world. something differently. You're right. <laughs> the, 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 the Marseillaise, uh, and Antoine says, the friend asks, why aren't you singing? And he says, because I sang it last year, which of course he did when he led the parade. That was the first real showing of the resistance becoming public. And it's, it's great. It's a great it's moment. Great. And also it has this subtext of, I don't want to be part of everybody's performative politics. Now I did it when it mattered, you know, and, um, and that's what he's leaving to just keep going North and keep fighting Germans. And I, I, I thought it, there was so much packed into that, uh, it was it was a lovely uh, little end. Uh, I want to say one word about Rita and Ezekiel because um, in this age where we associate, you know, Israel and Zionism with um, uh, all sorts of things in the contemporary world and its problems, like the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and the occupation of the West Bank and Gaza. It's, um, uh, it is interesting how the show glancingly portrays it in this last episode where Rita agrees to go with Ezekiel to what is then uh, British Mandatory Palestine. And... Um, she uh, kind of wryly says, I want to grow fruit in the desert. Um, and uh, if you think about the project, so the state of Israel is uh, proclaimed about three years after this and uh, about half a million people, maybe a little bit more from Europe, uh, make their way into the mandatory Palestine Palestine in the period immediately after the war. And they are actually a lot of people like Ezekiel and, uh, uh, and um, Rita, Rita. Uh, as well as the much, much more desperate uh, people from the Eastern European side. Um, and, uh, and they showed up with almost no idea of what they were like. It was like, imagine being somebody who had just survived the war, you know, going shack to shack like these two did in and out of Switzerland, in and out of custody. And your idea of what comes next for you is, oh, maybe it'll grow fruit in the desert. Um, which, you know, one of the Zionist slogans was make the desert bloom. So that's actually a real kind of variation of it. Um, And it's something that happened to, you know, uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the wake of the war. Uh, And the show treats it very glancingly just as a, um, but it really does stand for a big historical event that people like that were the kind of leading edge of. 
Yeah, I mean, remember when we had Rebecca Frankel on uh, a few weeks ago and her book, in her book, the family, after they come out of the forest that they've been living in, their goal, their dream is to go to Palestine. And they actually end up spending a bunch of time in Italy uh, while they wait for their passage to Palestine. And at some point it becomes, it's like too many people are going there. It's impossible. So they end up opting for the United States instead. Um uh, but it was it was amazing how many people were doing that. And like it was a real historical thing that they were doing, um, which sort of makes sense. I mean, I haven't read some of those books um, for a long time. Uh, and now I'm like even blanking on the titles of them. They made a movie about it with Exodus. Uh, Exodus yeah. Uh, which I believe is about this time after the war, right, where these people have been persecuted. And so they're like, we're going to go find a land of our own because look at what's just happened to us. Um, in these other places, and you can can make some sense. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to get into a you know obviously a discussion of the the merits of Zionism or this movement, but it is a uh, the point is about about the show that it's just depicted in this one little wry comment that actually stands for uh, something very big that had been happening. Uh, I mean, since long before the war, you know, sort of 50 years of emigration from Europe to, to Palestine, but is about to accelerate in a huge way and lead to the creation of the state. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that is the end of season five. Season six. We will be back. It's about justice. So and season it, seven. This are we going to call this season six seven? Or are we going to call it season six? Or are we going to call it season six point five? So without spoilers, I got to tell you, season and season six and season seven, while they are both six episodes, are completely different from one another. Um, we are in season six. We are with our our people. We are justice is is the name of the game. We are. Think, it is now time for everybody to be evaluated differently than in these three days of of mob justice right at the end. Um, but season seven is actually, they kind of do, uh, like what six feet under did at the very end where they show you what happens to everybody. Um, Mm. so season seven is, are we going to get to find out what happens to Mueller? Yeah. You find out what happens to everybody. Uh, it's a flash forward. Um, so, uh, I, so we have to treat them differently, I think, uh, but cause they're very different seasons. Um, that I think different have very different effects, uh, just even on the shows. Eh, whatever, we'll get into it. But season six is up next, and that's all for us this week. We'll see you next week. And indeed, with a special shout out to JVL, take us home. Nous nous aimions bien